Hello and welcome to Dinesh Guarda, Cities ABC and Open Business Council series. We are a fast-growing YouTube and podcast thought leadership channel focused on profiling the global leading inspiring people, CEOs, authors, technologists, academics, and people that are framing and creating a new vision for our world, especially looking at solutions how we can actually get better results for the problems that we're facing. In this channel, we've been actually highlighting ideas, products, inventions, software, books, and solutions to the multiple challenges and opportunities we face in our cities and our society. But we face specially, and we actually profile special people. People that are inspiring, people that are doing fantastic projects, and people that are trying to transform our world with all the areas and all the challenge from fourth industrial revolution to blockchain, AI, and all the frontier tech technologies that are disrupting and as well accelerating our evolution as humanity. This podcast series are produced and distributed on citiesabc.com and openbusinesscouncil.org and syndicated on intelligenthq.com, fashionabc.org, edgefink.com and tradersdna.com, our associate partners and as well media platforms. Today we have, uh, I'm excited with the person that we're going to be profiling. So we have Linda Getz, trying to use the American and a bit of Spanish pronunciation. Getz, uh, Getz is okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Getz, I, I prefer the Getz from the origin, but uh, mm-hmm. I understand the American Getz, it's, it's okay as well. So um, Linda is a global uh, thought leader and as well an expert in technology especially in the areas of uh, blockchain, but as well digital transformation. She's uh, the co-founder and the executive vice vice president of DFM Data Corp. And she's the former president and CEO of the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce, which is one of the leading university organizations that she has been leading. She's a leading global recognized authority in emerging technologies, a thought leader, an educator, an international keynote speaker, and as well an ethical investor. And I love, especially one of the things she mentioned in her profile, she's leading to serve, which I think it's very important in our leadership people worldwide. Um, she's as well a person that comes with a high profile background in the areas, of course, of blockchain, have been leading the blockchain chamber of commerce, but as well all the areas of distributed ledger technology, and as well, of course, crypto and digital currencies, and all the things that came out of that. And she's been uh, one of the global ambassadors in terms of creating um, solutions and get in terms of making both individuals and business enter into the crypto age and as well how to look at that with confidence, but as well with caution. And as well, one of the things I like particularly in terms of the work she's been doing is looking at a universal frameworks of things that can reshape the global commerce and communities Uh, One of the things as well, she's an inspiring personality that has been looking at uh, connecting founders, developers, business builders, innovators, and as well looking at the positive side of all these technologies, but as well all these institutions and organizations. And as well, one of the areas of expertise is building global ecosystems and tools to facilitate the adoption of all these emerging technologies and as well make them work in our work and life. And she's as well, I profile thought leadership uh, thought leader that has been highlighting a lot of solutions in terms of supply chain verticals and as well how to integrate these uh, specialty ecosystems into the 
world we live in and society. I could say a lot much more things, but I'll try to synthesize this. So welcome to our series, Linda. I'm very excited to talk with you today. Thank you, Denise. And it's a, an absolute pleasure to be here. I, I was thinking through, you know, how fast the years have gone since 2012 when I first engaged with Bitcoin. And it's been an explosion of innovation. And uh, the, the technology has, has had leaps and bounds. And it's also had some, um, some low points. Uh, I actually got called the, the voice of reason in the blockchain swamp. So you can imagine there's some people that think that there's, there's definitely a bit of a swamp there. And there's, there has been, unfortunately, um, a number of, of projects and individuals that have taken advantage of the, the hype cycle. And interestingly, we're engaging at the beginning of another uh, adoption cycle right now. And you have to be cautious and um, you, you have to connect with people that truly do have the, the right core intent. And uh, in part, that's why it's such a pleasure to be connecting with you and, and what you're doing. Um, I, I see you as, a, as an individual and as leading an organization that's seeking to bring high quality content and connect people to individuals that are doing the right thing in this emerging, emerging tech space. So thank you for that and uh, very happy to be here today. My pleasure and my honor. So, so one of the things as well that I didn't mention, but I want as well highlight today. So you are an advocate fundraiser and contributor to the Bloom in the Dark. That is a, a more creative and uh, social impact platform, which I want to touch as well. So that is as well part of your work. And I just want to highlight that in the beginning. So Linda, as a starting point, so you've been having, um, like you mentioned, uh, a huge uh, role in the global blockchain maturity community, but as well, you have a, a huge background in technology. So I would like being uh, a lady that has been doing a lot of different positions and as well in te technology, which normally is a man-driven world. So I would like to start a bit, how do you end up actually in this role, especially in blockchain that is, and actually crypto, crypto is even more male than actually blockchain. Blockchain is a bit more gender balanced, but if you go to crypto, it's a bit sometimes... Uh, a kind of a, a West, <laughs> I would say the Wild West in a lot of ways. Now, now it's becoming a bit of mainstream West, but, uh, but let's, let's go through a bit of that background. I would like to start out the background, education, and uh, you have a fantastic as well background. I would like to hear from you. Yeah, and my, interestingly, my, my background started in education and science education. So um, in, in the STEAM uh, space, girls uh, historically, have, have started off strong young and then as they've progressed um, you just haven't seen as many girls actually going into business roles in in technology and so you're you're absolutely right I've, I've been in, <clears throat> in a man's world uh, a little bit and trying to to help shape it so that women feel welcome and women feel that there's an opportunity to educate themselves and engage and find roles where they, they can be innovators and change makers and bring a perspective that is, is unique. Um, there's many gender uh, allocations that, that exist today. 
Um, so I, I hate to I hate to pinpoint areas of, of difference, but I, I think saying that there are unique perspectives that different individuals bring because of their experience base, um, it's very, very key to, to have that be part of the conversation. And there's statistics that show that companies that have women in leadership and people with different ethnicities and backgrounds of diversity, um, they're, they're showing better financial outcomes. So it, it really is important for us to continue shaping this, this space, this emerging tech space, in a way that women feel welcome and feel like there's a place at the table and that they can step into uh, engaging truly in, in making a difference and, and not feeling like they're marginalized or uh, ignored or not seen as being able to, to have positive input. So um, thank you for, for highlighting the, the gender inequality that still exists um, because it does. And uh, that's something that have definitely been working together. There's, there's organizations like HERA um, that are, are bringing a lot of tech savvy women together to, to help build a smart city that is, is engineered um, with, with women's thought process baked into the, the, the whole um, organization, location, um, you know, the dynamics of what living um, could entail. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what their outcome is and what that city looks like. Um, it would be wonderful if it could be a, a model for uh, working together with nature and technology to, to really bring um, the best of those those pieces together so yeah lots of fun things happening and uh like i said my my engagement uh truly with with blockchain technology began in 2012 and so much has happened since then um i mean everything from smart contracts and uh you know different oh i mean we could talk about you know central bank digital currencies where that's going um, there's, there's just a tremendous impact zone. And at the chamber, Blockchain Chamber of Commerce, we actually designated 12 different verticals to focus on because it's such a huge point of impact, right? And, um, you know, obviously supply chain is, is, a, is a big one. Um, fintech, you know, some people think about blockchain and they just think Bitcoin. But if, if you look at the financial services vertical, you know, Bitcoin is, is one of the cryptocurrencies that is just part of that financial tech sector. Um, very, very small. I mean, DeFi has gotten huge lately. Um, there's a, a lot of interesting um, positives and pain points there that uh, I don't know if you'll want to get into later or not, but um, we, we, do, we do have a, a tremendous responsibility as this technology grows and becomes part of more and more people's daily lives uh, to really make sure that it's it's adopted responsibly. So that's that's a lot of what I've been focused on. And those those 12 verticals that I mentioned, uh, we actually focused once a month on a different vertical to to just try to highlight, um, you know, not only show the community to itself, but to others, you know, where the impact zones were, you know, what things were really being done you know, in, in things like agriculture supply chain, um, you know, there's, you, you can't eat code, but uh, we all, we all need to eat something, right? So there's, um, there's just, there's, there's so many points of, of connectivity that we can help people understand 
the value of the technology and, and get more people involved moving forward. So it's definitely an education process. Coming back to your background, because I think it's important for, for people listening to us, and especially someone in the leadership positions that have been taking. So you were brought up and educated in multiple places around the world, and we have a quite unconventional uh, cultural mix that makes, I think, you very open to a lot of different cultures, different things. I want to touch that because I think especially in leadership, people sometimes forget that and the power that this brings for organizations. You mentioned gender, but as well the multiculturalism and as well how to do this in a, not in just a cliche way, but as well the reality, which is most difficult. And as well, how this is important then for technology. So I would like to touch that part before go more in deep. And I have questions about the 12 verticals and things like that, but I will go after. Like I said, we, we all come from different perspectives. And my, my perspective got built by parents who started their family in Ghana, where my oldest sister was born. So uh, I have, I have a, a Guianese um, oldest sister, and uh, she's actually married to a Peruvian. Um, my parents ended up spending eight years in Peru, and Espanol is mi primera lengua. So I actually had my first four years um, in the jungles of Peru. And uh, just one of those, you know, it, it shapes your perspective when you're, you're running through the jungles barefoot with, you know, children where my, my hair was white. I was, I was super white blonde, um, you know, blue eyes and the, the native children, you know, dark hair, dark skin. Um, but when someone falls and scrapes their knee, you know, you, you see that we're, we're all bleeding red, right? Um, there's, that, there's that awareness that we're, we're connected and it doesn't matter what skin color is, what hair color is, what eye color is. Um, I, I, just got, I just got raised with that, that feeling of connectedness to, to people. And, um, you know, I've, I've gotten to live in, in a number of different places for Mexico, you know, Mexico, um, uh, up in Canada, Alaska, um, you know, around the country here in the United States. And I've always just enjoyed the, and I, I know some people don't like the, the term melting pot, but the opportunity to connect with so many people of different ethnicities in the same country is is a, a really a unique thing in in the world um, that we have here in the United States that I've gotten to enjoy. Um, but then knowing that all of those those differences come from different places globally, right? That there's um, there's a reason that that somebody's um, and you can use a, a tartan as as an, an exemplar, or um, I'm, I'm Danish, English, Scotch, Irish, so you know I I have some some roots there. Love golf. Uh, I don't know if that's you know built into to my genetic code or not, but uh, really enjoy it. And um, but there's you know there's there's different uh, saris or you know tribal um, cloth that that communicates you know something it gives meaning it gives connectivity and um you know there's there's different blockchains that that communicate um and give connectivity and and have communities built around them and uh i, I think it's it's just been interesting to to take how i was raised and the perspective that my parents had towards you know all of our connectivity and uh just just seeing how the the emerging technology that we have in blockchain um, is is kind of building this fabric globally uh, in in a very unique way that allows for inputs um, 
but but shows that that this interweaving is uh, it's a global fabric. It's it's not, and I'm I'm not saying that to 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 put you know hyperledger fabric or anything like that out there as you know the the blockchain. I wasn't using fabric in that in that way, but um, just to the analogy of you know the the cloth that's woven that that shows where we come from, but but also can can bring us together uniquely. Um, it's it's a yeah i thank you for for mentioning that i i think sometimes we we get too much into you know techno talk and we we forget that it's it's really human beings that are the reason why this technology is so important and how we can can work to to bring opportunity to to people globally not just to any specific ethnicity or any specific country but to to human beings that that is critical in this adoption cycle no fantastic and i i completely for me this is more important than ever because running any company internationally or actually nationally and internationally you have to deal with a lot of different cultures and and i think any business needs to to bridge between these different cultures different ways of approaching the world and especially right now programming technology is becoming more and more about to deal how to bring to technology these different parts of culture. That's what makes it different from the machine. So I would like to, from your career, um, you start uh, with uh, uh, multiple different areas. So from your master to your uh, initial CIO of uh, the blockchain chamber to become CEO and leading and making it one of the biggest organizations in the in the and especially solidifying the maturity of blockchain internationally. So could you tell us a bit that career, some of the highlights that you have, and how did you start as well with the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce? Yeah, that's, that's a fun story. And um, my, my background in education, I got my master's actually in special education. I have uh, several family members that uh, had special needs, and um, I'm an educator at heart. So when, when you're touched personally, you, you go and say, how can I be better to, to help those that I love? And so that's what incentivized my, my master's. And I, I taught for a number of years. And then I had a, a close family member. My father-in-law uh, was diagnosed with Lewy body's dementia. And that's like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's combined. It's, it's a, an awful, awful disease. Um, but what, what it did is it, it gave us the opportunity to take three and a half years to help give care um, as, as he went through the final years of life and um, got, to, got to spend some, some wonderful time with him out on the golf course. He loved it. Uh, actually raised two kids in golf. Um, my, my sister-in-law won the USAM twice. My, my husband uh, was a winner on the Canadian tour. Um, you know, just steeped in golf. He he loved it, and uh, so I have I have a lot of positive memories of our of our time together. But that that three and a half years was probably um, some of the most wonderful and challenging time that uh, I've ever had in my life. And uh, following that, it was just a time to to. I guess heal um, is the best word just to, to, you know, get, get recentered and say what's important. Um, I did have the, the positive outcome since my husband and I had engaged in uh, purchasing Bitcoin back in 2012 to be able to make a choice as to what I did with my, with my future. I didn't have, I didn't have to go uh, get a job, you know, back in the teaching field or, you know, manage uh, 
things in, in that regard. But I, I took a step back and uh, I was like, what, what do I, what do I love? What brings me joy? Um, what, what am I excited to engage in right now? And, um, you know, obviously this was, well, not obviously, um, it was uh, 2017 um, timeframe and uh, I started connecting with the, the blockchain community and, um, you know, going to events and, you know, just getting a, a real feel for where things were. And one of the events that I attended in Atlanta, Georgia was one of the very first events of the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce. And, um, you know, this was right at the beginning of 2018. Um, the, the hype cycle was in full swing and you know, Bitcoin was near all time highs. And, um, you know, during the event, they had people raise their hands, you know, how long have you owned uh, cryptocurrency of any kind? And, you know, one month, just about everybody in the room has their hands up, you know, three months, hands start going down. Um, you know, they got to three years, there's no hands but mine, they got to five years. And, you know, people are starting to stare at me like, oh, my God, and I'm, I'm looking going like, I didn't know this was like, not. I, I didn't know that I was an early adopter. I didn't know that the process that I had gone through, um, you know, which was weird and, and I mean, just, I'm so thankful, let's put it that way, that the, the ability to purchase Bitcoin today is so much more streamlined than what it was back in 2012. Um, it was it was not a comfortable process and you know you have people looking at you like you're a criminal and you know you mentioned to anybody that you diversified into into bitcoin and they're like what do you do drugs um it's like no you know this is this is something that it's it's a new technology you know it's this is like a store of value this is a potential you know chaos hedge it's a um, it's it's a uncorrelated diversification for my portfolio. Like this makes sense, and you know, people back then it was like you know, my husband just told me to shut up, just don't talk about it because they're not they're not wanting to listen, they're not ready to listen, and you know, just just let it be, right? So that that's kind of where I'd come from, and now I'm in this in this room of people that. Are looking at me like I'm, you know, some some kind of, uh, you know, OG, you know, like I'm, and I didn't even know what OG was. <laughs> I didn't know that was like the old guard, you know, the the terminology. I hadn't really, you know, steeped myself in the the community. I'd been three and a half years of just, you know, flat uh, survival mode, you know, trying to to support the the health and wellness of people I loved and. Um, so yeah, that was that was my first introduction into the the chamber, and obviously the the founding team, um, you know, came and was talking to me afterwards, asked me if I'd participate on a panel, and then if I'd um, be in a debate. And I I the debate was really interesting because we had no regulations versus what I turned into smart regulations, and so I debated on the side of smart regulations, and um, I I'm happy to report that smart regulations won the debate by a very, very slim margin um, because there were, there were quite a number of Bitcoin maximalists in the room. But, um, you know, it's, it's just a progression since then, you know, as, as CIO, you know, working to, to help bring um, the, the social mandate of the chamber forward, which is raising awareness 
facilitating adoption and inspiring advocacy. And that's for commerce, consumers, people building careers in and around blockchain. That was, that was what I got to do. And um, I guess it was obvious that, that I loved it, that I was passionate about it, that I was just, you know, continually engaging um, not only the, the core team and, you know, the people that attended our events in Atlanta, but globally, you know, reaching out, connecting with thought leaders, um, you know, building collaborative relationships that, you know, brought benefits to our members, um, it just, I, I loved it. And uh, so I was, I was asked to step into the role of CEO. And um, if, if the camera is moving a little bit, I've got a bit of a breeze out here on the, the golf course. So uh, my, my apologies for that. Um, no, no, the sound is perfect. There's no issues. It doesn't, okay. Although we would like to have the brief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the breeze. It, it just feels so wonderful out here. Um, I'm, I'm very happy that you're, you're uh, just open to have a, a relaxed atmosphere for this chat. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a progression. And um, do, you, do you want me to get into my, my transition story at all? Or is yes, that, uh, I would like to actually let me ask you one question because the story is fantastic. But I, I, so being one of the early adopters, let's put it that way, especially in Bitcoin, because let's say, when you start in 2012, so Bitcoin starts in 2008. So it was really in 2008, it was the paper. So I remember <laughs> I, started, I started getting into Bitcoin as well in 2011, 2012. And I understood that uh, at the time, if you would be on that, you can get in serious trouble, especially if you were in financial industry or in any business mainstream. You could not even mention because you could, I, I remember I, I had, actually right now is a very high profile person in the financial industry worldwide, but he told me, don't mention to anyone that you are <laughs> working or at least doing something in Bitcoin. <laughs> and I remember that a colleague of mine, there was, he actually worked with the major banks and he was told not to go to the banks after start working for an organization in Lisa. So I would like to hear that <laughs> background because especially coming from education, you didn't come from technology or any kind of more cyberpunk <laughs> organization, yeah. which is normal the people that were the first <laughs> ones or at least more trading crazy. So a bit of that yeah. background, how did you start really using Bitcoin? I think that's interesting for all our audience for life. Yeah, no, it was, it was one of those things where um, I was at my parents' house and I, I have one of those interesting, you know, my, my mom, she's 83, you know, very, very dignified woman. Um, but she has a, a home office set up and we're talking like four big screens, you know, what, what you would imagine seeing in, you know, some, some type of corporate tech, you know, location. And so it, it's kind of funny because I was... Um, I, I don't know what I was looking at, something on their computers, and uh, this this um, pop-up came, and uh, it was it was a Bitcoin faucet, um, and it was it was just saying you know you can you can play this game and um, you know download a wallet and you'll you'll get this this Bitcoin drip you know like every ten minutes you get this um, this Bitcoin for playing this game, and. I, I hadn't seen anything about Bitcoin. I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. And, and this, this faucet thing popped up. And I wish I had been a gamer because if I, if I had downloaded the wallet and started gaming and it's like getting like 0.1 Bitcoin every 10 minutes or something. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous if you look at today's price of Bitcoin. But, you know, then it wasn't, it wasn't any kind of, you know, it was like, you know, pennies, uh, 
to, to what it is today. But um, I, I didn't uh, download the game. I'm not a gamer. Um, but I, I started going, what, what, what is this? You know, what is this, this Bitcoin? And uh, then just started, started looking into it and um, saw some of the price action and, you know, heard some people talking about, um, you know, it was, it was a, a conduit for free speech. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of interesting people in the space. And I just, I was just kind of catching different things, but I like this, there's, there's something to this, right? There, there's a, there's a value here that I don't yet have and, and I want to have it. And so that was, I, I went to my husband and was like, you know, we, we need to buy this. And his background was in finance and he was like, uh, no, you know, this like, you know, internet funny money. This is not, you know, like what kind of sane person goes and, you know, buys this thing? What, what is it? Right. So I, I had to do my research to be able to answer his questions. And that's, that's when I got to the, you know, it's, it's an uncorrelated asset, you know, it's a diversification, um, you know, and the numbers since then have actually proved that if you have, I think it's about one to 3% of your, your portfolio in Bitcoin specifically, that it reduces the overall volatility of your portfolio as a whole. So you know, I, I didn't have the numbers to totally back that up at the time, but I, I had enough eventually. I think it was the third time I went to my husband to convince him that yes, indeed, we should purchase Bitcoin. Yes, indeed, this should be part of our portfolio. And, um, you know, the process then, like, for real, we were going to the bank where, you know, they, they write down your name and get your social and you know, make you feel like a criminal if we're withdrawing cash, like your money, right, your cash, when you withdraw it, they make you feel like a criminal. And then you had to take it to a, um, I think it was a Walgreens that had a certain type of ATM in the back. We had, um, you know, to, to download a sheet of directions um, give that to the clerk along with your cash and, you know, have everyone in the line behind you look at you funny, you know, be, be going like, we've never seen something like this before. You know, what, what is, what is she doing with all this, you know, this cash? And then the, the clerk, you know, takes it, counts it, and then hands you a little, uh, it's like a little ticket. And then you go back to the ATM and you end up with this, this string of letters and numbers that when you go back and, you know, get your computer running up, um, it literally, I, I remember the, we had, we had the, the Bitcoin blockchain running on a laptop, um, you know, and it just was like grinding and grinding and grinding, trying to, you know, catch up with the, with the blockchain since the last time we had, we had updated. And, uh, you know, you, you had to have faith that somehow the the value that you had taken out of the bank you know in in real cash that you could touch and feel was was somehow now translated into this this private key this this representation of your bitcoin and um yeah it was it was a an uncomfortable, um, kind of like, you know, am I making a mistake? Uh, you know, am I just crazy? Is this going to like poof, disappear? And then like one of my nephews, who was a Georgia Tech graduate, super smart kid, um, you know, into tech, I talked to him about Bitcoin. He goes and buys some, but he had it on Mt. Gox. 
and everybody knows what happened with Mount Gox, right? So now I'm the aunt that's responsible for, you know, educating a nephew that goes and loses money in this, uh, you know, this this uh, scheme, this internet funny money scheme. Um, so you can imagine there, there were there were definitely ups and downs um, in in family perspective and. You know, I mean, to the point that, you know, just recently, one of my nephews was having a birthday and uh, I was like, hey, do you have a Bitcoin wallet? I'd love to send you some, um, some Satoshis for your birthday. And he's like, why would I want worthless money or worthless? Why would I want something that's worthless? I think that's exactly what he said. Why would I want something that's worthless? And I'm like, you know what? You, you, you have to pick your battles and, you know, I can put aside for him what I would have given him that day. And, you know, maybe when it's at 250,000 of Bitcoin, he'll, you know, say, Hey, Tia, you know, I, I realized that, uh, you know, Oh, no, no, probably. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, I don't, I don't know, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a progression of adoption and you can't, you can't push anybody past the point that they're, that they're ready to, you know, take that step. Right. Um, you know, maybe when there's a forced adoption of central bank digital currencies, you know, everybody has to have a digital wallet. Um, they'll, they'll maybe be a bit of a forced adoption. Um, but you, you hope that people would be aware prior to that, that this, this is a technological advancement that is happening and that there's, there's different stores of value rather than what's been the traditional, um, you know, obviously gold and silver traditional store of value. Um, I don't know anybody who's, you know, crossed a border with, uh, you know, five gold bars and, and hasn't had an issue. Right. Um, but, but you can, you can, um, you know, much more seamlessly transfer digital uh, value. Um, and it's, it's just a, a convenience, a, um, it, it's, a, it's a different way of doing business that's enabled by cryptocurrencies. And so I, I think we're gonna continue to see the adoption and I just got to experience it at, at a much more awkward stage a long time ago and, you know, acclimate myself um, you know, a little bit more than, than maybe some people have. And here, here we are entering into another time frame where, you know, the, it, it's kind of funny because when, when in 2017, 2018, Bitcoin was at its current price action, um, it was on every screen. Like, you know, you had the ticker and everybody was talking about it in the news. And now it's very, very understated, you know, news coverage. It's, it's been very limited um, comparatively. And uh, we've just seen the price action, I think, in large part because of institutional engagement. And um, this, this adoption cycle is going to be very interesting when the, the FOMO or the fear of missing out, um, you know, comes back in to, if, if it does at any of the level that it did in 2017, um, it, it should be a very, very interesting time to, to, to watch and, and learn from uh the way the way people behave fear is a really interesting motivator and um i i did a talk actually in dubai about uh fear of the unknown and fear of missing out 
And uh, my, my hope, my positive expectation is that it will truly be education that can be responsible for the real mass adoption cycle and not just fear of the unknown keeping people out and then fear of missing out being the only driver that pushes them into engaging. Um, I would really prefer it to be in a, in a much safer way where they're actually educating themselves, learning about the value add, understanding how to safely manage wallets, um, you know, what to, what to do to, to benefit from this cycle rather than being, you know, to kind of taken by surprise and, you know, shocked that this is, this is the way the world does business now, you know, I, I think that's where we're headed, but... So, so um, I, mean, I think the story is fantastic and, uh, and as well all the background because it goes through history of, of Bitcoin. So from Bitcoin, you went to blockchain and you ended up actually CEO of one of the biggest organizations in the world in blockchain. So you have all this education, but you have as well a practical research part, which is very important when you, do, when you get into a technology like this. So how do you went from collecting and starting to get into Bitcoin to then and that's actually leading one of the biggest organizations in blockchain. And can you tell us a bit of the highlight? What is, even for the people that never heard about the Chamber of Commerce uh, of blockchain or the Chamber of, of Blockchain? The Blockchain Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Platform, which is massive, but as well the work, the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce, sorry. So how do you highlight that as well? And as well, just uh, that experience and that trajectory as well. I think it's quite interesting right now. Yeah, now the, the facilitating adoption uh, part of this um, is really where the, the hard work is. Um, it's, it's the vetting of the companies. It's the, uh, and, and you're probably, many, many watching will probably be familiar with the ICO craze. Um, and then the, the STOs and, you know, just the progressions that, that have been uh, taken. And the, the purpose of the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce is to, to provide a safe place for the community to be able to connect and collaborate and do business. And, um, you know, that's from blockchain developers and companies that are, are working to integrate blockchain into their internal business practices um, to people that are exercising, you know, the 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 global um, adoption of, of this through you know building exchanges and there's there's a lot of different ways that the community has connected with this technology but there's been there've been bad actors and uh, one of one of the most challenging parts of, of what I got to do at the chamber uh, was go through vetting process of of companies that were you know wanting to connect become members um, you know be recommended into business with other members and we we found that there were some that they really didn't have the best interests of the community at heart they were doing business. Um, in a way that was not sustainable and would not bring the value add that their their white paper stated that their their blockchain project would have, and so it was it was really kind of uh, wading into the swamp um, after after I finished that three and a half years of caregiving. Um, it was almost like I was stepping into to caregiving for uh, um, an ecosystem that that was trying to 
uh, sort out, you know, globally what, what the regulations were and were trying to avoid um, what regulations they could. And, you know, finding, finding that balance, really sussing out who the good players were, who were the people that were, were in the ecosystem for the right reasons, and then helping facilitate commerce between them. Um, you know, making the world better together was really the, the driving purpose um, in, in part that has, that's brought me to, um, you know, where, where I am right now. And, uh, you know, as, as you introduced me, you said that I was the former president and CEO of the, the Blockchain Chamber of Commerce and it's former uh, because I made the choice to step down from my role. And I, I, had, I had one of those, those moments where I just realized I wanted to do what brought me joy. And I had had a conversation um, with the chairman of the board about the role and responsibility, the job of the, the president and CEO and, um, you know, the, the going and getting memberships and, you know, getting donations and, and bringing in dollars. Um, that wasn't what really brought me joy in regard to the chamber. It really brought me joy to facilitate adoption, to connect companies that were innovators in their field and that could support each other's work and, um, and really, yeah, yeah, it was, it was doing the social mandate that brought me joy. And um, I've had the pleasure since I resigned um, to, to help bring together what I think is going to be a really strong leadership team for the chamber going forward so that it's, it, it is people that are in that role for the right reasons, but it's, it's what brings them joy. Um, and uh, I, I get to work with the FM Data Corp, which is a company that uh, I've, I've just been, I, I, feel, I feel very blessed and fortunate to be able to connect with phenomenal minds. Um, that was probably one of the, the biggest value adds um, in my time at the chamber was, it was the, the human beings, the people that I got to connect with. And Michael Darden is one of those people that, um, he, he just, he came into the chamber. Um, I was introduced to him by our, our CIO at the time, um, John, and uh, he'd, he'd seen me at an event and heard me speak and asked some questions and, you know, just kind of mentioned that he was wanting to connect, you know, more in the, in the blockchain space. And so our CIO made the introductions and Michael came into our boardroom and we had a big old whiteboard across the entire uh, side of the room and he laid out how he was going to positively impact the dynamic freight matching industry using a patent that he wrote in 2004 or three. It was anyway, early, early 2000s. Um, he wrote a patent with 37 claims that define dynamic freight matching. So this is the Uber freights of the world. This is the, 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 the move of driver tractor trailer load, um, you know, connected to GPS and to rating systems and, um, you know, just facilitating that uh, digital supply chain um, transaction flow. That's, that's what his, uh, his patent described. And the, the crazy thing is, is Michael didn't own that patent for years. It was owned by the company that he worked for at the time that he wrote it. And he came to the chamber right as he was beginning the process of buying that patent back 
from a company that didn't realize truly what they had. And um, as, the, as the writer of it, he understood what it defined and his, his goal and our, our focus at DFM DataCorp is to help bring together the industry. And there's, I mean, to me, he, he was so prescient in, in his thought process, in, in how he understood not only this dynamic freight matching, but what impact there might be as not just one company, but maybe dozens or even hundreds of companies started doing dynamic freight matching. And DFM Data Corp holds four of the claims of the patent that allow for the cleansing of what's called random, it's it's phantom data, but it's it's data that is populated onto multiple boards. You know, maybe it's a, a driver's availability, maybe it's a load. And once that driver or that load is picked up off of one of the boards, there's nothing that takes them off all the other ones. And it's still looking like it's an available load or an available driver and people are bidding on it, trying to, you know, get that, um, you know, in their ingestion engine, it's no longer available. So it creates this frustration um, that costs the industry money, like real people's time trying to resolve, oh, that load's already been, you know, picked up. Um, But Michael saw that pain point coming and actually designed its solution on the front end. So DFM data is a utility that's going to bring that solution to the, the now probably 200 plus dynamic freight matching companies in the United States. And this is a problem that doesn't just exist in the United States. We've talked to teams in Germany that they have about 200 plus companies that are you know, beginning to see the same phantom data problem because they they have expanded and there's different niche marketplaces but that are being populated with some of the same loads and same drivers and um, they they need to resolve it as well and any contiguous landmass um, I, I see that there's going to be an opportunity for the the solution that DFM data is working on and we're also addressing it with, with really strong governance so that there is trust, not only in the technology, but in people's ability to participate in what happens to that collective utility that we believe truly should belong to the DFMs themselves. And so that's, that's been a fun progress uh, working with real thought leader, not just thought leaders, but, but uh like the, the history of a, a couple of our, our core uh, on the, the governance side of things, uh, John Greaves, um, phenomenal gentleman. He's on 20 different standards groups. Um, he chairs 10 of them. Um, I'm talking like GS1, IEEE. Um, we also have Denise, Dr. Denise McCurdy, who um, just got her doctorate in supply chain um, governance specifically around blockchain so it's it's probably one of the only doctorates in the world uh, that's been issued in that specialty and uh, she's she's leading our governance efforts so we're we're working at it in a way that we believe is going to be really positive for um, the 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 true adoption of blockchain technology in supply chain 
specifically bringing about what we see as many of the real benefits. Um, you know, not only are drivers going to be, you know, more conveniently connected to loads, but we're going to see hopefully at least 30% reduction in carbon emissions from empty trucks. So, you know, this is good for the environment. It's, it's good for the, the existing DFMs, um, those dynamic freight matching companies, and also for the, the more traditional uh, supply chain management companies and carriers and brokers that, that need to transition. Right. So it's, uh, it's anywhere between three to 30% of the, the market in the U.S. has transitioned um, to dynamic freight matching, depending on whose numbers you look at and, and what you believe about what people are telling you about how they're internally managing their business. But um, it's, a, it's a huge place for growth and for true technology adoption to occur. And I'm just that, that's what brings me joy. So I get to help facilitate there adoption is. and do it in an impact zone that, you know, with COVID, we're really seeing um, the need for fluid supply chains and uh, visibility into supply chains. Um, and yeah, this technology can help provide that. So you mentioned the, the 12 verticals. Do you want to highlight a bit that? Because I think it's interesting because there's different, you, you touched already, of course, supply chain, finance, and uh, and some other areas, but the 12 verticals, how do you define that? Because I think it's quite interesting. And as well, being an educator, I'm particular, because there's so much ways of looking at blockchain and a lot of myths as well, like you you, but you touched that previously. Yeah, uh, the, the best way to, um, to address that is to direct people to the blockchain ecosystem.io platform. And uh, that's, that's where you can see them laid out. Um, this, this is a platform that has some really neat um, opportunities to engage in, in a social media type of, uh, of way with other people that are engaged in your vertical. It's not something that we've, we've gone out and done any advertising around or really tried to um, commercialize, but it's something that is a tool that as the, the two co-CEOs that are stepping into my shoes um, will be you know, using as, their, as part of their, their go-to-market continuing forward. Um, it's, it's just a, a really neat platform and it has the verticals listed, allows people to self-designate into different verticals. Um, there's a Q&A function that you know, if you ask a question, someone can respond with like a little 30-second video clip. Um, just some some neat ways to to collaborate communicate answer questions ask questions um and you know find people that you can do business with um that that are either interested in your space and can support your efforts or vice versa and um yeah and you'll see like you know education and and different ones um they're they're yeah, all i'm there right now as we speak so we have distribution energy government hospitality and travel, members, um, services, uh, communication, care, manufacturing, real estate and technology. So it's quite interesting. So it's just, I just want to touch that. Uh, and thank you for that because it's a, it's sometimes it's always good to highlight because I've been trying to summarize this for my students and for a lot of people I've been talking. Actually, I did recently a film about the convergence between blockchain and AI and there's a lot of things. So this brings me to, so you presently are in a transition and you are doing a couple of big things. Do you want to touch a bit on what you're doing right now in terms of uh, the work yeah. and uh, your pre pre present, uh, um, well, what you're doing right now? 
Yeah, no, like like I mentioned, um, making that transition to to being sure that I'm engaged in in what I truly love and enjoy um, has has brought me actually when I when I resigned my role at the chamber I, I got four job offers within 24 hours and uh, one of them was with DFM Data Corp obviously that's that's one that I've stepped into um, you know strongly as executive vice president I was in one of the early well, I was I was the first investor in the company and um, I, I see its impact for the that, yeah, for for supply chain, not just in the U.S. but globally, as as being something that's that's really impre- you know impactful, um, and something I want to be a part of. So there there is that, and you know that's that's pretty much a full time job in itself. Um, one of the other members that uh, I, I had the pleasure to work with while I was leading the chamber was. Um, I don't know if you want me to, to go into that story. It probably is a, a little bit of a, a 10 minutes. I, I want to respect the time that you've allocated here. So um, is is that something that... Well, if you can uh, summarize, it would be good. We still have around okay. 20 minutes or 22. So I would, okay. I would like okay, to hear perfect. because I think this it's all about stories, at least. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's the it's the stories um, of life, right? That uh, all put together equal perspective, and so yeah, Charlie Charlie Northrup um, is the the member that I was I was talking about. He he saw the internet uh, when it was just in between. Uh, professors. So one of his buddies was at the University of Illinois. And so Charlie sees this, you know, back and forth with research, you know, being sent. And he said, that's going to be commercialized. And his buddy laughs at him. Charlie went and wrote 10 patents that defined e-commerce. So if you think about how how business is transacted, um, you know, globally today, Charlie envisioned that and I got to sit at the table with him. It was February of this year. Uh, we had lunch with the guys who actually brokered the sale of that patent stack. And they asked him if they'd told him about the, the email that they had framed on their office wall. And Charlie's, you know, he looks puzzled. He doesn't know what they're talking about. And uh, they, oh yeah, you know, the, the guy who was on the winning side of the, of the bidding um, sent us, forwarded us the email that he got from the, the guy that was his, his money, his money guy. Um, and he was requesting how much higher he could bid. And the, the email came back, whatever it takes. And it was signed Bill Gates. So Charlie, you know, he's hearing this for the first time, like 12 years more, 13 years after, you know, this patent sale occurred. And, you know, he, you can tell he's, he's pretty, you know, he's like you know, kind of pumped. You're like, that's, that's awesome. You know, Bill Gates valued my work that highly. Um, but then he said, my, my current technology stack, my current patent stack will dwarf that one. And when, when, I, <laughs> when I first heard it, I, I didn't really grasp why he was saying that. And it's, it's been a progression over the, the past months where I've, I've really gotten an understanding and actually gotten to participate in, in part of that development and, and fleshing out of the, not just what the tech stack is, but the why of the tech stack. And the way the web was designed was not with our agency in mind, like humans. 
um, it, it, it didn't even give a state uh, in in the first iterations. Um, <laughs> when when you I mean still when you log in, you know you're you're putting in a username and password. You're going into somebody else's site, right? And you you click yes on cookies. You click yes on terms and conditions. And next thing you know, someone else owns your digital footprint. And, you know, although there's GDPR and you have the right to be forgotten and you can, you know, go some, you know, force someone to go into their system and, you know, delete all of your information, you can't force them to go into their system and remit to you all of the actions that you took while you were in their space, right? And so we, we lose our digital footprint. And that shouldn't be. I mean, there's technology that exists today that would enable us to manage, to own, to, to be able to monetize our own digital footprint. And, and why should we not do that? You know, why, why should it be the, the behemoths that have, you know, taken advantage of the, the way the tech has been structured to this point to, to monetize it, right? On their behalf, not on our behalf. We've gotten a free service and we have truly been the, the product. Our, our data has been the product. And we're just starting to have countries that are recognizing that their true national treasure is not the gold or silver or maybe even the Bitcoin that they've purchased. Um, it's, it's the data of their people that that truly is the most important thing that they should protect. And we're, we're in, a, in a transitional time, I believe, where technology like what Charlie has created is going to be key in giving us as human beings digital agency. And I, I say digital agency because Charlie has, has put together the, the beginning of his tech stack um, is, is pure random data drawn from nature. Okay, so imagine that that data gets put into a multi-dimensional holographic QR code that can be queried by any cell phone's camera, right? So any, just about anybody in the world could, could utilize that technology. Um, but it would take someone with a, a, at least a quarter of a million dollar machine to try to, to duplicate even, even one of those QR codes. So much more secure than RFIDs because it can't be um, externally queried unless you present it, right? RFID chips, you know, people can, can just walk by you with an RFID reader. They can, they can pull data off you. You don't even know they did it. Um, that isn't possible with this, this multidimensional holographic code. Um, so you, you have that genesis point. It can be taken and combined with a personal secret that allows for a, a multi-key to be produced. And this multi-key has, and I, I, I may, this number is huge, but I think it's, it's 2 to the 512th times 2 to the 512th possible public-private key pairings that, that are enabled by this multi-key. So if, if you think about the atoms in the known universe, that number I think is about seven times the number of atoms that, that we know exist in the universe, not just the world, but the universe as we know it. 
Um, so it, it's a little bit of a mind-bendingly huge number. Um, it's as quantum-proof as anything that I've heard of. And that multi-key can be managed by a digital agent. And that's another part of Charlie's technology stack is, is a, a form of AI that can learn nouns, verbs, and modifiers and put them together to, I mean, if you think about a business process flow, it's, you know, do X with Y upon Z happening, right? You know, it's, it's just these progressions and the agents can learn these progressions um, using words, you know, like the word consider, um, you know, consider these options and apply X possibilities and then make a decision. Um, the, the, there's, I, I, don't, I don't have time to, to delve into where the possibilities go with what that AI can achieve just from its learning, but what it can achieve on behalf of human beings in provisioning them into different ecosystems with this multi-key, that enables my digital footprint to belong uniquely to me and be managed uniquely on my behalf, even in marketplaces. I can, I can sell my data, but my agent can do it on my behalf and, and in a secure way that um, isn't able to be um, hijacked by, by others. So, um, super secure deals with some some big issues uh, when it comes to GDPR and you know globally we've been having just a, a hodgepodge of, of privacy legislation that makes it almost impossible for cross-border business um, in some cases and we need a resolution for that and I think I think Charlie's uh, technology stack um, is part of that answer and is going to enable doing business in in a very unique and powerful way and we're we're looking to bring together a consortia of people who want to see this technology adopted on behalf of human beings um, on behalf of people globally not any specific company or country but on behalf of people so that's that's my i guess my side job my my other fun thing is is working to to bring together the universal framework of things consortia to to help connect like-minded individuals to support the responsible adoption of this technology um, and and technologies that connect with it that um, you know have supporting roles. One of the things with the the agents is they they treat everything as a thing, right? So a blockchain is simply a thing, and they can learn things. And so we we have something that can be future proof, in that regardless of what new blockchain design is come up with, regardless of what new even political um, infrastructures are put into place, the the agents can learn those new things and can work within the parameters of those new rules um, uniquely. So it's it's a, it's an interesting time and it's a, an interesting tech stack to be engaging with and supporting the responsible adoption of. So, yeah. Amazing and a, and a great story. And I think I'm particularly um, interested to see, and I think that's one of my questions I have here. So you've been uh, 
an advocate, a global advocate for blockchain and uh, for the, all the areas of our fourth industrial revolution. But you have a very strong background of um, both uh, education, firstly, but as well creating bridges between society, business, and technology. So with all this, uh, and I think when I spoke with you offline, you mentioned as well that we're going to pass probably from the fourth revolution to probably the seventh seven revolution or something like that. I love that expression. So can you, elaborate from, a yes. bit, <laughs> yeah, can you elaborate a bit about the, how do you see blockchain, the fourth industrial revolution, and all the areas of digital transformation. And I think the time, because we are in epicenter time, actually, ironically, in, in the Bitcoin, today is one of the, the biggest trading days in history of Bitcoin. So it's kind of <laughs> highlights the way the day, at least that we are doing this interview. Uh, but I, I would like to see this, how do you see this, this bridge? Because it's, it's really an epicenter in the frontier technologies. We'll, we'll, after this, we will really do something. I don't know, we will leapfrog, but definitely we can go in one direction or the other. Yeah, um, a couple of points there. We, with, with just blockchain, um, you, you would just kind of eke your way into the fourth industrial revolution. Um, with, with blockchain and other emerging technologies integrating, um, I, I think we leapfrog the, the fifth and sixth industrial revolutions. And, and having, having digital agency is something that I think will be so uniquely empowering for people that it will allow for the transcendence of the individual beyond many of the, the structures that have held us back in the past. And, and I don't say that in a way that I, I think there should be destruction of those structures. It's just that in many cases, they, they would be unnecessary. Um, it's, you know, banking infrastructure is there. And it, it may adjust and, and change over time and... But at the same time, it, it's, if, if people are doing business differently, will those people that are in banking find ways that they can more constructively use their time and talents um, rather, rather than just maintaining a, an old way of doing business? Um, you know, what, what are the possibilities that will open up? Right. This is, this is not about, you know, trying to, to destroy what has worked in the past or what has worked in some regards in the past. Um, it's, it's about saying, you know, if, if we didn't have to worry about, um, you know, some of these constraints, what, what's possible for, for good? What's possible for the environment, for, you know, people being able to, to manage past just subsistence living, um, you know, what, what are the opportunities that are there? And I, I just see uh, I see really strong potential positive and a, a really possibly scary dystopian future, depending on, on who is managing the power of that possibility. Um, 
and and that's i guess the 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 point that we're at right now is one where we're already seeing the use of, of blockchain technology specifically, but combined with other emerging technologies to exercise greater control over people's lives by different entities, whether it's countries or companies. Um, I believe we need to have that control in people's hands to be able to manage their, their own lives and to, to do it in a way that brings a net positive to, to the communities and countries in which they live. Um, you know, maybe that's a Pollyannish view, you know, maybe I have rose colored glasses and, um, you know, I, I believe that there, there are truly uh, people with good intentions and, um, you know, a positive purpose to, to serve humanity and, we, we need to hopefully support their use of these powerful technologies in such a way that it can have the positive outcome that uh, I hope for, for my children's future. Um, I, I don't want the dystopian society that uh, is one that they grow up in, you know, worrying about every word that they say or, you know, what's, what's going to be. Um, you know, changing in their in their social assessments that will allow them to to do or not do you know certain things that that we currently in the U.S. take for granted as as our right as human beings. Um, I I think there's you're right. We're we're at a bit of a tipping point. So one of the things that I'm particularly excited about your profile is that you've been always making the bridge with different very difficult different areas from uh, like we mentioned business technology education and as well even areas as different as healthcare which we have a you have a background as well but it's really a very strong moment we are in and i think uh, there was actually a recent paper from the mit that uh, and actually a quote that i like to use that uh, uh, well ai is already changing everything and this very narrow ai and of course uh, we have as well right now um China creating an entire blockchain system for the country and most of the rest of the world doesn't even disclose. We have the digital, digital currencies for central banks and so forth. So how do you see this and what would be your, you mentioned that positive vision which I share, but how, how do you see, how can we take, take this from a, from a theoretical perspective to from a practical perspective? They just look at how things um, started with apps, right? So you, you had, um, you know, a, a rudimentary smartphone that you could download an app on. And um, I don't know what your first app was, but I remember the little ping-ponging ball, you know, that you, you could slide the little bar. And, um, you know, it was, just, it was a fun little game. Um, and, you know, a little calculator and very, very simple things. And, um, you know, as we, as we start in this, this progression, there's very simple thing applications that our agents can do on our behalf, right? Um, manage, manage your social in such a way that it is no longer on one of the traditional social platforms, but now is, is truly yours. Um, you know, your data, your interaction. Um, we had a, 
this, this was interesting. Um, one of the members of the chamber had something that they had gotten sent, a, a little video clip they had gotten sent from their mom um, on, on Facebook. And uh, she was telling me just how excited she was about, you know, the, the impact that she had gotten from this video and how it had made her realize what a powerful tool blockchain was. And so I was like, well, that sounds amazing. I want to watch this. And she's like, oh, well, let me go forward it to you. And when she went to try to forward it, it had disappeared. And so she called her mom and her mom was like, mine's gone too. And I've like a whole batch of friends that I sent it to, like they're no longer, um, you know, available through my profile. Like I can't even find them. And um, I'm sitting here on the phone with her going, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that, that shouldn't be that there's an entity that can choose arbitrarily, you know, possibly based on some algorithm, that a video that a mother sent her daughter should no longer be available to her daughter, right? I mean, I mean that, that felt like it was such a, a private, you know, thing, like something that I as a mom felt was important to share with my daughter, and now it's gone. Um, we, we have to start making the changes in, in little ways, right? Where, where we take ownership of our digital footprint and we, we start doing life differently. Um, it has to, has to start somewhere, right? It's, it's not going to be um, a, a utopia that someone drops down on top of us. It's, it's something that we're going to have to build from the ground up. And if, if you've ever planted a garden, you know, it, it's not like you, you plant it one day and you walk out the next day and there's like beautiful lush tomatoes and, you know, it's, it's just this, this, you know, just lovely meal laid out for you. Um, you know, you got to pick the bugs off, you know, you got to, you got to, you know, take the time to make sure that the plants are getting the right fertilizer and, um, you know, that they're getting sufficient sun and, you know, all of those little details we as as responsible human beings are going to have to to create the environment for this positive outcome to to come forward um, for those those little thing applications to be built that that streamline business processes and it's it, it has to be a collective build it can't just come from the perspective of of one country or or one people group um, it, it has to it has to, to feed in from the, the needs and, and the culture of, of people in very, very different environments and settings. And yeah, it, it, it's, it's just going to, to need to be a, a growth over time with, with real people just building that next real thing that helps make life better for the the people that they understand and know and like and love. And, you know, I think as that happens, it's going to be that we're going to see that there are so many similarities between us as people, you know, yes, there are cultural differences, absolutely. But there, there's so many things that are just uniquely human, right. That, that are things that are important to us as people. Um, you know, I've, I've been in airports and I've, I've heard babies cry and seen grandmas, you know, smile over their grandchildren. And it doesn't matter what country I'm in, you know, it, it's, it's that same 
you know, compassion that goes out. It's that same love in the grandma's eyes. Um, and, and we just need to facilitate the adoption of these technologies that are so powerful to, to enable that, that humanity to, to continue forward in the most positive possible way. Yeah, and, and I think it's very inspiring, and I think that's, uh, I think you, you synthesize everything, but right now is how we can actually get global um, personalities to, to go through this and how to make it happen. So I, I want to thank you for this. I think probably I would want to have a second session just on education. Probably we'll do it within one of the events that we're going to be organizing, and I hope that you're going to be as well. Because I think especially in this area of the bridge between this inspiring work you've been doing and as well the this energy that you transmit is very important but as well it's important to make sure that people are conscious about these tools and how to use it right because we can be using the tools for a lot of wrong things like have been happening especially in the last couple of years obviously i'm i'm highly available on linkedin um the blockchain ecosystem.io platform um i can be reached at linda at dfmdata.com and um, definitely happy to, to connect and collaborate and support the responsible adoption of emerging technologies and, and the commerce that can come out of that. So um, obviously the, the blockchain chamber is, is one that I'll continue to point people toward. Um, we, we have an announcement forthcoming of, of the new leadership. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to connect with, with good people and to, to have these kind of conversations and um, not just keep them conversations, but that actually put the technology uh, implementations in that, that do start bringing those positive changes that, that we're all looking for, so. No, I, I, I subscribe and count on me and it's very inspiring. And as well, I love your stories as well. And I think all this dedication that you've been putting to, to push this forward. Thank you so much, Linda. It's been a, an honor. It's been a long interview, but I think it's, uh, I think everyone find it so passionate as I've been doing. Okay, thank you so much. Oh, my absolute pleasure and thank you.